morning, everyone. Welcome to the Highway Community Podcast for Sunday, June 19th, 2022. Thanks for listening. Really glad that you could be here and join us. Well, John chapter 9, verse 1 says that as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And the simple fact that Jesus even saw this man is significant because in the world of the ancient Near East, people with physical disabilities, people who were blind or paralyzed or lame or leprous, lived in the shadows and were largely invisible. But Jesus saw this man who was blind from birth. And it elicited an interesting question from his disciples. They asked Jesus in John chapter 9, verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, the disciples' question there in verse 2 was rooted in the commonly accepted theology in Jesus' day that God rewards the righteous, and punishes the wicked. And the fancy theological term for that is the retributive principle. The retributive principle is that God rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked. God rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked. And therefore, suffering is a sign of God's judgment. And it's the retributive principle, by the way, that's at the core of the tension in the Old Testament book of Job, uh, and particularly in the interactions between Job and his friends. Job's friends look at everything that has happened to him, and they're insistent that there must be something that Job has done to deserve it. They simply cannot reconcile how Job could be enduring so much suffering, and at the same time, be righteous, because God blesses the righteous, and he punishes the wicked. And so that is very much the assumption behind the disciples' question to Jesus here. This man has suffered blindness from birth, so therefore someone must have sinned. So who was it, Jesus? The man his parents. And listen to what Jesus says in verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light. Of the world. And then John chapter 9, verse 6 says that Jesus spit on the ground and made some mud. And I can't help but wonder what that sound of Jesus spitting might have evoked for the blind man. Because I'm guessing that as a beggar, this man would have been more than familiar with spit and not in a good way. But this time, The sound was not going to be accompanied by saliva hitting his face. Jesus was going to use his spit to bless rather than to curse. Verse 6 says that Jesus took the mud that he had made with his saliva and put it on the man's eyes. John chapter 9 verse 7 says, Go, 
he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. And it's interesting, you know, John records this miracle, which is so incredible, right? And he records it with surprising brevity. The man went and washed and he came home seeing. Well, here is someone who had never seen before, who had, who had never seen anything from the time that they were born, and then instantaneously is able to see. And John, you know, captures all of the shock and awe and wonder of that with, he came home seeing. It's so understated. Well, maybe the matter of factness of John's description, and and, and I'm speculating here, but maybe the matter of factness of John's description is his way of communicating the magnitude of Jesus's power. And a way, a way of playing down the amazingness of what happened, because, you know, this is Jesus here. Of course the man came home seeing. But then at the same time, I think there's also the whole challenge of trying to put something like this, right, someone being healed from congenital blindness, into words. But John, remember, is telling this story, but he wasn't the one who saw. John didn't know what it was like to have never seen before and then suddenly to see. And how would you even begin to describe that without experiencing it? And when you think about it that way, he came home seeing all of a sudden seems more than sufficient. Jesus, the light of the world, has literally given light to the blind man's world. And we can only imagine the wonder of that. And John's, John's brevity, the, the restraint and the understatedness of his description actually leaves us room as readers to do that in a really beautiful way. It leaves us room to imagine. When we think about this story, there is, there is so much seeing that takes place beyond what the man born blind experienced literally. There's so much more seeing than what the man born blind experienced literally. The disciples saw their framework for understanding how God's work, how God works right, the retributive principle, they saw that turned upside down as Jesus definitively decoupled this man's malady from sin. The surrounding community, including the religious leaders, would see the physical transformation that had taken place in this man's life. And they would see the power of Jesus because of the man's testimony. And then later, after being summoned twice by the Pharisees and ultimately thrown out because of his testimony, Jesus found the man again and enabled him to see his identity as the Son of Man. And so the man born blind not only saw physically, but he also got to see who Jesus was. 
he saw Jesus' identity as the Son of Man. And all of that happened because Jesus saw the man born blind in the first place. So much seeing resulted because Jesus saw. What Jesus saw as he was present among us on earth not only reveals what was important to him, and and also by extension what was important to his Father, but it also shows us how we should see. What Jesus saw not only reveals what was important to him, but it also shows us how we should see. And this morning, as we continue our journey to be a people and to be a church that is centered on Jesus and his greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, uh, we are beginning a new teaching series for the summer entitled Eyes to See where we will be looking together at at stories from the Gospels that contain the words Jesus saw. We'll explore who Jesus saw, what Jesus saw, and the invitations that emerge for us to have eyes to see like Jesus. Last month, our family traveled to Santa Barbara for our son Trevor's graduation from Westmont College. And we rented an Airbnb for the weekend in a neighborhood off of Milpas Street uh, that enabled us to take one of our dogs with us because thanks to the pandemic, we have too many dogs now for a dog sitter. And so while we were in Santa Barbara, every morning I would get up and take Rico for a walk in the neighborhood. And as I was walking on the first morning, I noticed that the streets around our Airbnb had these trees that were just stunning. Uh, They had these spectacular purple blooms on them. And here's a a picture of one that I took early one morning. So I have to confess, I found these trees really difficult to photograph. Uh, Every time I took a picture, I would look at my phone afterward and be disappointed because the picture that I had just taken paled in comparison to what I was seeing. Looking looking down a street that, that was just lined on either side with these purple trees was just beautiful in a way that a picture could not capture. So I had never seen these trees before. Uh, and, and as many of you, I'm sure, already know, they're called jacaranda trees. And I found an interesting article about the history of of the jacaranda tree's roots in Southern California. See what I did there? The the history of the tree's roots. Very nice. Thank you. The jacaranda was brought to Southern California by a pioneering female horticulturist named Kate Sessions. After being one of the first women to attend and graduate from UC Berkeley, Sessions was lured to San Diego by a job offer to be a school teacher. But She only wound up teaching for one year because her real passion was plants. And she had a particular fascination with plants growing in exotic parts of the world. After she bought a nursery and flower shop, in 1892, she made a deal that would change California's landscape forever. She leased 32 acres of land 
that was owned by the city of San Diego known as City Park. And at the time of the lease, the land was barren, it was full of pests, and it didn't have any formal landscaping. And so Sessions agreed to plant 100 new trees per year in the park and 300 trees per year elsewhere in San Diego on public land. And in exchange for that, she could use the property that she was leasing, which along the way would be redubbed Balboa Park, and she could use that property as a kind of laboratory for her fascination with plants growing in exotic parts of the world. And one of the trees that was planted on that property was the jacaranda tree. Well, word of San Diego's transformation into a colorful and lush environment quickly spread up the coast, as did the popularity of the exotic plants that Sessions demonstrated could flourish there. And jacarandas, with those beautiful purple blossoms, were an easy sell. And in the 1920s and 1930s, they were planted extensively in Los Angeles and Santa Barbara. And so it was super interesting, you know, to see these trees that are so specific to Santa Barbara and, 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 even, and even more broadly to Southern California, really, for the first time. So I do a fair amount of walking in the neighborhood around my house. Walking is my, my primary and preferred form of exercise. And I have a two mile loop that I pretty much walk every day. And after I got back from this trip to Santa Barbara, I went out on a walk on the route that I always take. And just across the street, at the end of the block that my house is on, I saw this. That's right. It's a jacaranda tree. And amazingly, as many times as I had admired the really nice low water landscaping that these neighbors had put in a few years back, I had never noticed that tree. Well, then I saw this at the other end of the street that I have lived on for the last 24 years. Another jacaranda tree. And then, while I was walking our dogs to the school one morning, I saw this, just one street over from our house. Another jacaranda tree. Then, at the traffic light at El Camino and Bernardo, on a Saturday morning, I saw this towering over the gas station. Jacaranda tree. And then, after going to the grocery store, I saw this at the traffic light at Mary in Fremont, at the medical center there. Jacaranda tree. And then just last Sunday, I parked right around the corner from our Miramonte campus to go to a farewell get-together, and I saw this, another jacaranda tree. And then, this past Wednesday night, when we were sitting in the Folden's backyard for our formation group meeting, which we've been doing all spring long, I looked across the lot yard and lo and behold, a young jacaranda tree in their yard. And I, I'm not going to lie, I could go on, but you get the idea. There are jacaranda trees everywhere. 
everywhere, right around me in the places where I always am. But until that trip to Santa Barbara, when I saw them lying in the streets, I had never had the eyes to see them. And now that I see them, I can't stop seeing them. You know, it's amazing what we can see once we become aware of something. It's amazing what we can see once we have eyes to see. And so as we begin this new teaching series, my prayer for us is that in the same way that our eyes would be opened to see what Jesus sees, that we would have eyes to see the kingdom, that we would have eyes to see the unseen, that we would have eyes to see faith, that we would have eyes to see hypocrisy, that we would have eyes to see grief, that we would have eyes to see with perspective, and that we would have eyes to see brokenness. And that, kind of like the jacaranda trees, uh, that we would see and learn to see what Jesus sees everywhere. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for sending Jesus to be the light of the world. And we thank you for all that he enables us to see. All that he enables us to see about you. All that he enables us to see about others. All that he enables us to see about our world and all that he enables us to see about ourselves. And Father, I pray that as we as we enter into this series this summer, uh, that you would open our eyes, that you would make us aware, uh, that through the power of your Spirit, you would enable us to see as you see. Uh, that your spirit might make us aware of the things that are all around us that you care about. And even more, that we would not be able to not see those things. Would you open our eyes, Father, that we might have the eyes to see like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.